welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where a bunch of friends from Philadelphia chat about everything movies. We are in the middle, or actually we're rounding out our cold, snowy-themed month, and we've talked about some very interesting picks so far and excited to uh, round out with this film. Uh, But before we dive into our final installment of Snowy Cold Month, wanted to check in with everyone. Uh, I'm here with Dave, with Sam. Uh, Connor's not with us today. Uh, He is here in spirit. Dave and Sam, how are you guys doing? Have you seen any good, bad, you know, moderately acceptable films lately? Um, I have not seen anything yet but as of this recording so today is december 16th spider-man um no way home comes out tomorrow and i'm going to see it with tori hey that being said i have already completely spoiled everything about the movie um because I, i can't handle being surprised uh i used to be a game of thrones fan Uh, had one thing happen to me that I was like, I'm never going through that again. Um, Not knowing that this character dies. So I'm just not going to do that to myself since then. So it has, I have been crying off and on all like all 48 hours that I've, that spoilers have been available for good reasons, good reasons. So um, I'm going to see it tomorrow. I'm so excited. Just to be clear, you know, what's going to happen throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you know, I feel like if you're still just as moved by it, that is the mark of an excellent movie. And, you you know, it's like we all watch those movies where, you know, beat by beat what's going to happen and still it thrills us. Yeah. Let's hope that this is no way home or far from home or never going to return home. What's the title? Spider-Man Home Alone. <laughs> home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coming out around Christmas. It's, um, I no made Uncle home. Ben disappear. No <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The Home Alone Spider-Man. Oh, little Peter Parker alone in the house. That would, I would pay money to see oh, that. He's, he's slinging all the, uh, the paint cans on his webs. <laughs> Just oh, so many great web based like slapstick comedy and like he'll have some like Rube, Rube Goldberg mechanisms, but like web related, it'll be great. Ah, uh, let's make it happen. You heard it here first folks. When give us the funding. Dave <laughs> seen anything of note or <laughs> not of note. Um, I saw a movie that came out recently. It was, um, one of the ones that I'm trying to catch up on of, of films that were released this year, it's a movie called The Humans. It is based on a play and uh, directed, I believe, by the same person that uh, that scripted it. Yeah, yeah, same. It's written and directed for the screen based on a play that this person wrote. Um, pretty interesting movie that just sort of follows uh, a, a family and um, one of the daughter's uh, sort of like newfound partners throughout the course of a Thanksgiving evening in a small Manhattan apartment and their individual anxieties sort of boiling over and uh, sort of providing an emotional backdrop for what we've seen as it's revealed. It was, it was interesting. I, I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but it's definitely good. It was really well shot. The end of it plays off almost as like a very interesting horror movie to a degree 
So yeah, a very strange and very complicated movie, but I did find it to be, though initially a little bit tedious, very rewarding in the end. That's cool. Yeah, I've been reading uh, about that movie and yeah, just I feel like a lot of the reviews I've read have have remarked on the sort of the setting, this this bare apartment and that there are some horror elements, but that just the viewer is more attuned to just elements of the space and therefore it like ramps up the the sort of horror and some crazy shit might happen as well. I don't know, but I, I, the descriptions I was reading makes it I, I was very intrigued. Yeah, it's sort of more like emotionally and phenomenologically, like as far as one setting, uh, presenting an aura of menace and, and dread horror movie rather than a supernatural or like, you know, uh, killer-based horror movie. It's just, it's very abstract, but it definitely rings true to the horror genre in some very interesting and existential ways. That's interesting that you're getting in some 2021 movies for some power rankings we we might do uh in a few themes or episodes coming up i've watched only christmas movies recently so (laughs) and i think maybe only one of them came out recently it was a terrible one the holiday do not watch it it stars emma roberts and some random australian dude and it Thinks it's like an edgy Christmas comedy, but not not my fave. I've watched some much better ones like Santa Girl, Dear Santa, uh, Christmas Catch, which was very intriguing. I was into Christmas Catch. Um, and yeah, so I won't have very many to, to talk about when we round out 20, uh, 2021. Outside the realm of like Scrooged, are there any Christmas movies that have an edge that you think land? I really can't think of many. Well, uh, A Christmas Story is pretty edgy yeah, in that it's okay. terrifying. And I've always been scared of that movie. And I, I don't really revisit it unless it's on TV. And I guess I sort of have to watch it. But yeah, Ed, you know what, listeners? Send us an email. Tell us about any like holiday or Christmas movies that you've seen that you really think capture an attempt or, or successfully fulfill an edgy holiday movie or the vision of one. And we would love to know. We'll read your email uh, out loud. So related to sort of holiday themes, we had mentioned that our theme this month of December is snowy cold month. And we've done this month, we've done this theme before, and we've always talked about some really important questions like, you know, is the snow real? How cold is this movie? And when this theme was re-brought up, the first thing that popped in my mind was this curious movie I had seen when it was recommended by a friend a couple years ago. And I was like, I really believe that if there's a movie that encapsulates just snow and cold, this one is it. And the movie we're going to talk about today is a film from 2007 called My Winnipeg uh, by writer-director Guy Madden. I just looked at my notes and I was about to say Guy Winnipeg. I literally wrote written and directed by Guy Winnipeg. No, this creator's name is not Guy Winnipeg. It's Guy Madden. And this film is, some refer to it as a documentary. Guy Madden prefers to call it a docufantasia, which I actually think is a, is quite a wonderful term to describe this movie that's in many ways sort of indescribable. 
So it's sort of a docufantasia uh, that Madden creates about his hometown, Winnipeg. Uh, the project began when uh, guy, that when Madden was commissioned by the Documentary Channel to make a film, make a documentary about the city. And so he had access to some interesting um, archival footage of, of Winnipeg throughout the decades. And uh, instead of writing a, or and directing and creating a by-the-book documentary, Madden actually decided to create a, a surrealistic narrative of Winnipeg city history, its geography, and also incorporate an exploration into his own life and his own family life. Uh, and this plays out in a really, really curious fabric of stories where he bl essentially blends and blurs the line between fact and fiction. A lot of elements of this film, you don't know what's real and what's not. And so it takes you through uh, the streets of Winnipeg throughout Madden's life and also uh, back through the whole 20th century. And there's also a voiceover that of uh, sort of poetry and narrative. It blends sort of a, a this somber tone and almost this somber poetry on Winnipeg life and the city and also a meditation on loss, buildings that have been lost, uh, monumental figures and characters of Winnipeg history that have been lost. And also it balances with this amazing sort of irreverent, oh, and hilarious fictional detours into the recesses of Madden's brain. So, right, I tried to encapsulate what this movie is, but I would love to just open it up to Sam and Dave. And I believe this was everyone's first time watching this movie. Am I correct? Yeah. Yep, first time. So, yeah. So, uh, what did what what did you think? What were some impressions of my Winnipeg? Uh, you know, Christine, I, I'm always worried when I watch your movies. I'm always just like, oh boy, what am I going to be watching? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes when I pick movies, I think about you all watching it. I'm like, all right, I think I know what Dave's going to think, Christine's going to think, Connor's going to think. And so I wonder, like, if you guys do the rest, too, to, to like, well, what are, what's so-and-so going to think about this? So I was, like, really oh, curious, um, Christine, like, what you were thinking. Um, like, I don't know if you rewatched it, um, but, like, what were you thinking that we were going to think about the movie? Because, uh, like, I went through, like, on a roller coaster. At first, I was like, what the hell is this? I was like kind of angry. He's talking about forks and I'm seeing pictures of like the same fucking river bend and then like um like a woman's vagina or whatever. I was like what the fuck am I looking at? And then it got to the point where he's talking about casting his family and for some reason he says and Sparky as the the long dead Toby. I just lost my mind. I thought it was the funniest thing. And I think it took me a minute to realize that this was like supposed to be like both serious and funny. Uh, when, once I figured that out, I was like, okay, no, like I, I would, I might not recommend this to a friend, but I would watch it again. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I definitely love watching these movies and also sort of predicting what people are going to like and like what they aren't going to like. And as I was rewatching this, I was like, 
I feel like Sam is going to laugh at like the fam at, at like the actors playing his family, the scenes with the mother, <laughs> the siblings. <laughs> yeah. I actually like, I don't know. I thought the whole thing was very funny. Um, yeah. and I think it's because it sounds like, um, if you set up a recorder in my living room, the rants that like everyone who lives in my home the, that we all go on every once in a while, um, it sounds exactly like that. So I, I really appreciated it from, from that point of view. Cool. Yeah. Great summation. Uh, how about you, Dave? Well, well, what did you, uh, what was your, uh, yeah. Having, having considered it, what did you think I was going to think about this movie? Well, you did mention in the group chat, you were going to watch it again. So I was like mm. that, if that's any indicator, it, at least you're intrigued by it and want to catch some of the, of, of the many, many elements. And Rewatching it for me, I there were so many things I didn't pick up on. So I thought you'd be intrigued by the many layers, and uh, I feel like there's a lot to talk about. And all of us really like to just like dive into you know thick material. So I I thought you'd be interested to pick it apart. Yeah, I um, the first watch through, I, I would have to initially agree with Sam. I did think for the first maybe ten or fifteen minutes. Though I wasn't on board for the content, you know, the, the forks, uh, the the mythos of the sort of uh, indigenous understanding of there perhaps being rivers beneath the rivers that create this sort of cyclonic, almost like paranormally inspired atmosphere um, that has this kind of like gravity. But one thing that did drive me nuts for, the, for about the first 10 minutes was the repetition of the poetic repetition, to be fair, and intentionally so, uh, repetition of of words and phrases um and it did to me in that sense feel a little bit it in that sense felt simultaneously a little pretentious and also a little juvenile because it was so resentful in a way that wasn't yet flushed out um so i think for the first 10 minutes i thought to myself like this is going to be a very frustrating like modern beat poetry sort of interpretation of of filmmaking and of the city and its content but as it rolls on, all that stuff feels very appropriately shuffled in at the beginning because we do come to understand the depth of both resentment and affinity that Madden has for for his not only his his roots by location, but his familial history and how it connects to a broader civic history and municipal history of Winnipeg. So in the end, I found it like entirely captivating. Uh, I, I think I just needed to just like kind of chug past those first couple of minutes into the tone that it establishes. And after it did, I didn't resent that beginning. I didn't, I no longer found it pretentious or juvenile. I found it appropriately apportioned in those things to what it becomes and how it explores it. So very abstract, very enjoyable, a lot of really amazing, genuine civic history of the city of Winnipeg and invention. And I didn't know that that was the case going into it. So like the whole time though, I'm trying to pay attention. I'm like, frankly, frantically Googling on my phone, just like, wait a minute, is there actually a law that people sleepwalkers can come in your house? Is this, did these horses actually escape? And it becomes this weird minefield of truth and non-truth that are so gracefully melded by the end that it really kind of doesn't matter what's true or not. It's more a sentiment. And in that sense, I found it really amazing. I'm glad you brought up the the voiceover and that repetition 
And a lot of the scenes with the voiceover is a return to this, these few couple, these uh, few handful of characters in a train car, half asleep, possibly drunk, kind of just watching through this window, the snowy window. And there are some elements of like shots of ex- the either the exterior or some abstract shots in the window. And I'm so glad you brought up that point of like, are we supposed to take this voiceover seriously as like, like, quote, serious poetry mm-hmm. or what like what's going on with this voiceover? And like, what are we supposed to be learning from this this sort of uh, this presence or this voice? And I think not only does it blur fact and fiction of like, well, what really did happen in Winnipeg? What really did happen in Madden's life? Are these scenes that he's retelling of his own personal history real? Is this, where did this dialogue come from? I think the same blurring, there's the same blurring tonally of like, is he for real? Like, is he really trying to write beautiful poetry or is this supposed to be funny? And I think by the end, as you pointed out, Dave, it, it's just a soup of, of different tones and abstractions that just makes for an intriguing, yeah, sort of scape of, of dreamscape of sorts. Um, I will say though, I find the opening of this movie, one of the best, and it's not yet because of the voiceover. It's the opening shots are just on an old woman's face going, I, I know all about blood and all about fur. Was it the man on the track team or the man with the tire iron? And so as a director is like coaching her to say it again, like one more time, I know all about blood. And so it, it took me kind of back to um, American movie where the uncle is being asked to repeat the same lines over and over again. And I was like, what a way to start a movie. And then it goes into the box car, the sleepy box cars. They're being sort of tossed and turned by a, by by the train and then the poetry comes in. But I just love those opening scenes uh, with the actress Anne Savage, who's asked to play his mother, trying to deliver her lines in a way that's satisfactory to the director. <laughs> She's being fed these lines over. Also, real quickly, just like as far as that opening sequence is concerned, visually it's, yeah, it's it's really captivating. I mean, like, obviously we're not seeing a moving train. This isn't filmed on a moving train. This is this is a set and the background is projected either via actual projection or just like green screen after effect because like you can see that it's coming at certain angles a- as a train throughout these streets that wouldn't make sense. But it does create this sort of and, and and illuminate and really accentuate this sort of dreaminess of what is being expressed early on and and does sort of put us emotionally at the same distance that the narrator is in terms of his resentment and wanting to escape a place that has become so familiar that it's almost surreal. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah. And there are definitely elements where he, the narrative goes into these sort of musings about what it means to create a film like this. And and there's definitely a lot of repetition of like, I'll never escape. I'll never get out of Winnipeg. I'll never escape like the, you know, 
the traps of my hometown and like my family and all this. And then he, he like, he sort of ponders, what if I film my way out of it? Only here can I probably recreate the archetypal episodes of my family history. I can free myself from the heinous power of family and city. So there's this very sort of elevated language. But when I was reading a, like about this movie and sort of the intentions, it's sort of this like creating sort of this elevated myth around this city and sort of the, through this sort of uh, mythology of city and of also his own personal history, he sort of uses this inflated language in, I think, a humorous and comedic way. Because um, we've got different threads going on. We've got these sort of scenes of these guys just sort of sleeping on in the train, being jostled around. We have what looks like real old footage of the city of Winnipeg, which is quite fascinating. I feel like multiple times I've brought up on this podcast how lately I've just been really into movies dropping me into specific times and places where I can just look at a city in real time for what it was like lots of old footage or a recreation of a time and place. And that was so fun to see 40s, 50s shoppers in like a Winnipeg department store or, or, uh, old footage of hockey team, like Winnipeg jets playing and things like that. So you've got real uh, like old footage. And then you've got what clearly is Guy Madden directing recreations of scenes to look like old footage, again, blurring those lines of fact and fiction. And then you have his decision to play out supposedly real scenes from his his boyhood, uh, scenes with his siblings. So he, he hired local actors to play his mother and his two brothers and his sister. And as Sam pointed out, he had a little like chihuahua dog, but he used his friend's dog Spanky, who's like a little French bulldog, <laughs> to play his original dog. So he's assembled this crew to essentially recreate his life. He also supposedly rented out his real childhood home, brought in a bunch of furniture. And whether that's true, we don't know. But it's it's just a wonderful, weird staging of of a past in this city that he still lives in and that he's trying to recreate. So the whole movie is just merging between these different spheres and these different worlds as you're sort of just being brought along for the ride. So instead of going through the movie, I just wanted to know what scenes or what moments really intrigued you or stood out or maybe frustrated you? Um, what's what's stuck out in your mind about uh, about this movie or, or certain moments that you wanted to highlight? Um, something that came to mind a lot is just obviously this focus on, I love Winnipeg, but I, I need to get out of here. I hate this town. And um, <laughs> I found myself several times going like, pack it up, emo kid. It's 2021. And um, I, it reminded me of this uh, like tweet I saw a long time ago that was like the difference between emo music and country music is how you feel about the town you live in <laughs> or the town you're from and I was like uh, that's so true but um you know the, this this character of guy um is such an interesting one because he has these really complicated feelings of Winnipeg and yet he's telling us the story of two parents if you believe him 
lived a kind of unusual life. So you have a mother who, from the way that I interpret it, was an actress on the one show of, uh, what is it, On the Ledge or... Ledge Man. Ledge Man. Ma- Ledge Man, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, the part that I texted the, the group about that, what's next for Ledge Man? Suicide. I I laughed so hard. I like scared the animals in my house. Um, But okay, so you have his mother who was an actress and then you had his father who was involved in hockey in some way. And um, when he's talking about like the, the Winnipeg hockey arena, he was like, my, my male parentage, my, my male influence. And I was like, what? Did he not have a dad? And I had like forgotten the whole thing. Yeah, he did. But, he died like okay tell me more about this so it's just a quick mention he doesn't get he's like i didn't get an actor to play my dad because i I think his his father might have passed a little earlier in his life but then he goes but (laughs) i exhumed his body and reburied him in the living room and as he says that the camera pans over the movers moving the furniture into the room but it also pans over this carpet that clearly has a body size lump in it and you're like oh my god this guy is so bizarre like this situation is so bizarre because you're like okay yeah that is the body of his father who's included in these family scenes but because he's dead he's now just rolled up in a carpet and reburied in the the middle of the living they're leading up (laughs) yeah and to to clarify ledge man it's a it's a daily soap in which the same, this is basically from Madden, the same sensitive man threatens to jump and his mother always sticks her head out the window and talks him out of it. By the end of the episode, the son is coaxed into safety. And that's what happens every single day during the soap opera. I would watch Ledge Man every day. <laughs> and you, you catch little glimpses of the, mo- the, the mother or whatever poking her head. She's like... Son, don't you remember that cute little jumper you used to wear to school? <laughs> You're adorable. Which <laughs> is also kind of plays into like the broader theme of just like, you know, familial and like routine comfort versus a sense that you're losing your mind because you're there. Yeah. And like to to go to go back to the point. Um, so he he's talking about like this general nostalgia but also distaste i want to leave winnipeg i want to get out but yeah but from what it sounds like he had like two very unique parents um creating a very different type of experience so can you imagine how someone who didn't have like famous or wealthier family members their experience with winnipeg i i uh I think about that. And then I also think about So his whole tirade about the Winnipeg Jets was very funny to me because like, they're still a hockey team. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. but, but so they're, they're a hockey team, right? That notoriously people hate going to they hate going to that arena because they think it's like the coldest the darkest the dankest arena in the the nhl so (laughs) i i also had to google that day and i was like wait a minute but like the jets are still they're like actually good they're like a thing (laughs) but it's like this so he has real footage oh well okay there are some scenes he would create recreates in black and white and he's 
I, I don't know if these were the real players all as like 60 and 70 year old men and like for the camera, if he just got uh, some, no, a bunch of old men. Teams, yeah. Okay. So, but he does these great staged uh, like hockey reunions with these old men, but he also has real footage of the demolition of the original arena. And I, I just, I think the movie does such a great job of, of, or, or at least the things he decides to include, there's this sense of loss in buildings that somebody has uh, like memories tied to. And it, I laughed when there's this, the real demo, demolition footage, they're doing a countdown, the explosions go off and only the sides of the, there's of the arena actually collapse. And there's still an interior structure left. And the way Madden interprets it is that the sides were like added the year that the NHL like took on the, or like brought in the Winnipeg jets. And he like, everyone was like sad about it, them joining the NHL and that the the sign was that only those wings fell off and that the interior structure stayed intact uh, because the jets should have never like joined the NHL, like little interpretations of seemingly mundane moments, like a building being demolished. Uh, and there are these beautiful overlayings of the wrecking ball hitting the columns of the of the ice rink and these <laughs> players also playing among them. Yeah, it, it becomes uniquely surreal when, it, as he explains, there's almost this like galvanizing and like cathartic fictional hockey match between these two fictional teams that are of men that he describes as being 70, 80, 90 or older playing hockey in the arena as it's being actively destroyed. It's just, it's a sort of like, you know, transgenerational defiance of um, the erosion that occurred in that town as far as hockey because of the expansion. Um, it was just really deeply poetic and really poetic as we see it being destroyed. And as he's so, you know, so sentimentalized it via these fictional memories of his, I think at one point he says that he was born in the, the the changing room and then a week later was brought back to watch his first game and everything but the one thing that does really and it's the only thing about this movie in the end that actually does stick in my craw a little bit is the inclusion of a couple of shots of color where oh like the demo like you know it's the it's demolition him shooting the modern environment yeah it's shooting the demolition which does distinguish it as like genuine like he's filming it so it can be part of this incorporated into it. And it wasn't maybe something that he necessarily expected to include or something, but it does trouble me a little bit that it's in color as opposed to the black and white of the rest of the film, because it does take me out of it a little bit. Oh, that, I could, that's, well, And that being my yeah. only complaint. No, but that's a, that's a really good point because the first color shot is really not until at least, I think it's over the halfway point. So really you've sort of been lulled into this, black and white footage and still questioning what's real, what's not. And then it gets to the demolition footage and some of it's in black and white and some of them, it is just, you know, whatever, 2005 to 2007 footage or, or maybe early, whenever it was demolished. And then he does it again with the um, department store Mm, where yeah. the Winnipeg Hockey Hall of Fame keeps being moved from building to building, in which he's really upset about. Um, and it's like on the third floor in this back forgotten wing of this huge department store building, which is kind of sad. I sort of saw it as 
an acknowledgement of the present day. I don't think it took me out of it so much as it felt like a suggestion of like a living memory. And it's, it's like, this is a, this is like a contemporary, I exist in the contemporary space and I'm still feeling the loss of these particular stores. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that is definitely a great point you bring up Dave. And I think it's kind of, um, up for, up for interpretation. I mean, I do think it does serve a function in terms of, yeah, the kind of time and place in the present day creation of new memory. Like, I, I see where you're coming from with that because he does specifically point out, which I suppose actually is true in this wor- this sea of fact and fiction that he was uh, allowed back into the building during demolition and was perhaps the last fan to actually use the tr- famous trough urinal. So it's almost like a kind of like a validation of that that like, okay, let's take a pause in this movie where we're in a sue of fact and in a sea of fact and fiction to acknowledge that this was a real memory of mine and this really happened. Maybe it's kind of that function. I don't know. But then when he uses it to just highlight the MT stadium, I was like, again, pack it up, emo kid. Like, we've all been there. We get it. I think that also kind of that idea of what's presented as black and white are caught like old footage. What's, what's present day. I think also some threads in here are uh, his interest in kind of the supernatural and ghosts. Uh, A really long sequence is uh, when he starts talking about the ballet club of Winnipeg, which with a name like ballet club of Winnipeg, you're like, Oh, it's like a, like a dance troupe or like a club that likes to do ballet, but it's actually was a gather, like a gathering of um, folks who wanted to do seances. And instead of just traditional seances, they would dance out the spirits. And there's this whole long sequence of these ballets in front of what looks like some sort of municipal building or like a museum or something Um, and just all of these characters he introduces. And what I like also is he sort of creates this sort of silent film cuts to words or texts or reactions. Like you'd see in like a silent film, action is happening, there's no dialogue, and then suddenly a black screen will pop up and it'll be like thrilling or, or something spooky or something like that. And so he interjects moments with those sort of silent film, um, uh, little texts and throughout this whole ballet of Winnipeg, he just introduces all of these interesting spooky characters and, uh, like all the important people from the town are part of this seance. Uh, and so I think he likes to bring up elements of ghosts and, uh, and the supernatural, which, which also, uh, I think some of it's based on Winnipeg lore and legend, like the stories of the race uh, horse race, uh, race horses that went off the track and ran into a frozen river. And there's some really jarring shots of like horse heads sticking out of a river frozen as casual passerbyers touch them and pose for pictures next to them. From what I understand, that was just based on like a Winnipeg legend. Uh, but it still is pretty jarring. It looks like something out of a horror movie. And it, all of that is intensified by this constant snow, constant cold. And I think if you live in like a snowy 
mostly cold environment, I think like senses of ghosts and things, I could imagine like a town getting behind legend and lore around like ghosts and sort of horrific imagery and legend. That and the merger of actual municipal history is where it gets really intriguing for me because it does feel as though this is suggesting that Winnipeggers, as they're known, as he explains, are are people that are geographically in like one of the coldest places on the continent, the very, the very heart of the continent, um, as exacerbated by you know these river flows that make it inherently colder, and and having this sort of like I don't know like weird fulcrum of different intersections of like the paranormal, the just like environmental, the, like weather, um, but even just like civic, an attitude about civic tragedy. Uh, about you know the workers' strike and and the the impacts of that um, these these downed horses who uh, mythically ran off into the river and were frozen in place and everyone treated it as like like people would go on picnics and sit and sometimes sit on the horse heads just sort of like this attitude of like a kind of like hardened place that hardens people because of environment and compounding influence whether that be fictional psychological or fictional psychological or paranormal kind of stuff, or it's just civic tragedy. Either way, there is a sentimentality to adapting to the harshness of an environment. And I think uh, I'm also glad you brought up this notion of sentimentality. I think we've already established that tonally the movie uh, sort of taps into a lot of different modes uh sort of and and you're trying to wonder how much is sort of a, a sort of satire of like uh, a documentary or sort of a spoken word poetic you know meditation on life you know what's he really getting at i also think there's some really interesting moments especially towards the end where he goes into some pretty intense recognitions of like displace he, he like displacement uh like of uh, like indigenous tribes disp- like being displaced you know what becomes winnipeg and there's this mention of you know while other cities you know you see homelessness and people experiencing homelessness everywhere uh winnipeg doesn't have that uh the displaced and dispossessed are elevated on top of the buildings and it's this interesting way of basically not basically acknowledging that Winnipeg falls still into, you know, a a legacy and a history of displacement, of trauma. And, but like, it thinks itself, you know, as like, oh, everything's every, we're all nice people in Winnipeg. And we're going to show that he, I mean, he made this up, like the homeless population is not literally on the top of buildings, but just (laughs) by creating this, this sort of commentary, oh, we literally, we elevate the displaced and dispossessed. It's just a wonderful, uh, I guess, um, sort of poke at what could have been a documentary. He could have created the bit in like, everything's great in Winnipeg. Our, you know, community looks out for one another and, you know, we're just, we're a friendly bunch just trying to keep warm in a cold climate. Uh, and so there are moments I really think he utilizes the structure of a documentary to be like, you know, this isn't just going to be a tourism puff, puff piece. There is, he doesn't fully delve into it. And maybe he could even like make, incorporate that more into his story. But I, I liked little moments uh, like that. And yeah, interesting and paradoxical in the sense that this 
displaced population is quote elevated in a literal sense, um, but they're they're living atop the skyline in like the ruins of a disused amusement park on top of these buildings, however, impossibly, but like it makes, it makes a mention that like, while they are elevated, they are also out of our sight. Like it's like tidying up a problem in a way that you can pat yourself on the back for that doesn't solve anything. Yeah. And he, and, and there's also a moment where he talks about, uh, uh, if day in, I was like, there's no way this could have really happened for real. And it turns out it did, where essentially Winnipeg recreated a situation if if Germany and the Nazis had won. And I'm like, it was the Rotary Club who, who orchestrated this entire reenactment. I'm to like, sell war bonds, in, yeah. In 1942. And I was like, I'm I'm shocked, but not surprised. <laughs> and then he's talking about this in the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so I also think it's a wonderful moment of sort of another. So it's like still within this framework of Guy Madden, make a documentary about your town. It's like it could veer into puff piece documentary. It could also veer into city and country propaganda. And so I think including that moment, too, is an interesting like, well, you know, uh, to like sort of glorifications of city and country have existed forever. And we think about like wartime propaganda and the crazy shit that towns will do to ensure that they have the, its entire population in support of a war. And so these little moments that really kind of hit you at the end, you're like, wait, what? Is <laughs> uh, just, yeah, just like in very interesting moments. It's especially effective too, in the sense that it spent so much time before that, like it's one of the most preposterous sounding things in the film, but it has fed us lies, fictions that sound more convincing than that the whole time. So when you get to that and you ultimately do your research and discover that like that is one of the true stories in it, it really kind of calls attention to how how truth is stranger than fiction, especially when uh, juxtaposed and contrasted with actual fiction. That's a great point in like very intentional sequencing of all of these particular scenes and saving a almost unbelievable moment in Winnipeg history towards the end, as you've stated, Dave, to really make the viewer kind of like sort of be startled and question, you know, what what is reality and what's the history of this particular spit of this place? How about how do we think the movie kind of rounds out him and his memories of his family? Do we think that there's sort of any sort of reckon not reconciliation, but sort of any final sort of understanding of if after he's recreated all of these scenes, oh, the best one where his sister supposedly hit a, a deer with her car and then the mother doesn't believe her. And then the wild scene where the mother is like maybe sick in bed and the kids are like, we're hungry. We need some food. And then they let a parakeet loose on her. So all of those scenes. And then like, how do we think the movie ends uh, in regards uh, to, to his family? I, I like whatever was happening with the mother and then the actor who played the brother who had like died when he was young. I was like, this, I don't, this is disgusting. I don't care that these aren't actually like, these are not his family members at all. But like, 
ew still i just i didn't like it wait why did you find it ewy i i mean i found it like you know strange but uh, i don't know th- this being the last the last bit right where where it's the mother reunited with um the son who uh, his brother who in in reality did die by suicide uh at a younger age having kind of like a conversation about him being in the hereafter with his his mother that scene that scene you're talking about so i guess maybe i missed the fact that they were like dead they were both dead and like they had reconvened is that is that what you're saying no i I don't know how to how to take it necessarily as far as what it's saying i just think that there's an undercurrent that is i think there's there's a very freudian thing going on with the mother at the start of this movie which is accentuated by like the lap the forks yeah It, it does kind of create this oedipal push and pull of winnipeg both as mother figure itself and his mother specifically and how he in equal parts wants to escape what seems like at least early on in the recreations a very abusive relationship with his mother which he he then conflates and projects onto his backdrop uh but then at the end you see him as he softens a bit on winnipeg's history and starts to appreciate it especially through um Citizen Girl, which I'm sure we'll get to, it then treats us to an imagined sentimental moment between his lost brother and his mother as a moment of closure. So almost like him making peace with Winnipeg as a municipality in the same way that he is making peace with his own, the the troubles and traumas of his own past. I don't know if I'm reading too much or projecting too much on that, but that was my read because it does feel as though his relation to his mother softens or becomes at least a little bit more appropriately aware of her personhood outside of his trauma as it continues for me. You know what, Dave, I'll let you have that one. I don't know how to interpret it. (laughs) I was just like, I don't like the two of them laying like they are next to each other. Even if they're not family, I just, I don't, I don't need it. I don't like it. Oh, wait, are you talking about the final scene in the snow? I thought that was such a tender moment. Ew, no. I th- What? How is that? T- I, that was just skeevy. Is it just because a mother is embracing her child? I don't understand. Well, <laughs> the thing is, it's like, so it's, it's not even her child, though. It's the actor who's playing her child. And after sure. everything we've already seen about this mother... Just like having it end that way. But it is also a woman playing a woman play his mother playing herself. Like it's not actually his mother. So it's not as though that is a truth among those people. It's just, it is strange via the conceit that she is an actor. She, (laughs) God, this fucking movie. (laughs) That she is actually his mother embracing an actor portraying her son, but they are both actors. So in that sense, it's, it's narratively skeevy, but in, in execution, perhaps, is I don't know. <laughs> I just read it as tender also, but I don't know. You know what? I'll Fine. Absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard movie to talk about in some ways. It's, it's a real head scratcher. Yeah, part of me was like, do I want to bring this? But when I rewatched it, I was like, I think, I think there's so much here that I feel like there will be something that will be fu- like that will sort of catch people's attention. And I just think this movie is so bizarre, but in a really intriguing way. And maybe, yeah, yeah. And and once again, if any listeners out there watch it, we would love to know your interpretation of that ending. Um, I thought I thought that as the movie sort of rolls to its finish. 
that the voiceover gets less sort of hackneyed poetry and more actual Guy Madden, like taking what there's a lot of like footage of some beautiful uh, snow walks. And he, he like has this uh, footage of footprints in, in the, uh, in the snow and he calls them snow fossils. The idea that it's so cold out in Winnipeg that as you walk, even on shoveled sidewalks, the snow gets basically frozen in time underfoot. So it's like the footprint of each boot is essentially frozen through the whole winter. And that, and I, I just really, I really liked those moments and that it seems like he's sort of relaxing and isn't trying to be sort of as, as sort of snarky. And, and then it's sort of reaching this final moment where I thought it's preparing the viewer to feel uh, a sense of loss and sadness for real, for like his, like his real family members in that final scene. And then there's this, there is this sort of like tropey music playing in the background, but I thought in the movie cut it, it's playing this sort of stringy music and then it suddenly and abruptly cuts and then they're just flecks of snow and then the movie ends, which I think is a really interesting way of ending too. I, I that was just my read, but yeah, I think it, rem- it remains, it remains pretty poetic and flourishy in terms of its language, but I do agree that it peels back the layers of cynicism that it has at the beginning. Um, because at the end, as he's talking about those snow fossils, he, he makes a point that, when it's fresh powder on the snow, it's a negative imprint. But then once the snow has melted, it becomes a positive reflection of that negative space because the snow has melted away, but the the shoe print is still there where it was in the fresh snow. And it becomes, yeah, it just rings more, it's as poetic, but it rings more, less pointed and pretentious and self-presenting or self-defensive as does the first part of the movie, which is him, to me, kind of warming up to the recognition that he can find uh, like glimmers of comfort in a place that he wanted so desperately to flee from and from people he wanted so desperately to flee, flee from. And at the end, do we think he do we think he gets away with it? Do we think that the, the making of this movie frees him of Winnipeg or not? Or does he more deeply appreciate it? Like it's another thing that they talk about with that that. Um, that railway contest, which is like the, they they did this thing where if you could find this secret ticket that was hidden somewhere in Winnipeg, then you would have a free ride out of town. And it sounds so tempting because everybody fucking hates Winnipeg, apparently. But then supposedly everyone would comb the streets. And by the time that everyone, the, the winner eventually found the ticket, they had such deep, so much of a deeper appreciation for combing over their city that they didn't want to leave. I think that that's a pretty pivotal line or like a line of thought in this, especially as the film plays out in its ending. So I don't know that he is free of it because in the end, I don't think, I think maybe he realizes he doesn't have to be. Yeah. And spoiler alert. I think he still lives. Like, I think he's just a lifelong Winnipegger, (laughs) but. And anyway, you can take the dude out of Winnipeg, but can you ever really take Winnipeg out of the dude? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that that moment of that contest. Yeah. Uh, And the idea of like, do people people always say they want to get out of Winnipeg? But, you know, I still think he's sort of slightly making fun of the conceit that like by doing the art, the artist, 
you know, can overcome something or like hmm. I think there's still sort of a wink there, but I really do think that he closes the movie with a tone that I felt really does convey a sense of like, this is a rich history that, that I'm, 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 I've been exploring within, you know, my city, within my family. It's been a complex ride, <laughs> but, uh, that I do, you know, have this uh, like connection, like strong, deep, deep connection to, as we're kind of round, we kind of round up, finish the movie. Are there any other scenes that people wanted to touch on or, or any other final moments that stood out? How in love is everyone here with Citizen Girl or the idea of Citizen Girl? <laughs> Man, what a triumphant way to end it in, in some ways. So yeah. this is like uh, his, his theoretical, like he's he feels comfortable. He imagines he'd be comfortable leaving Winnipeg in the safe and, you know, um, nurturing and ultimately righteously redefining hands of uh, this tentpole fi- fictional figure representative of like, a working class self-published paper. So it's basically just a symbol, a, 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 fem, a, a feminine symbol of collective action and correction and progressive change. What a fucking cool figure and a cool idea. I'm really glad you brought up Citizen Girl because it is in complete juxtaposition <laughs> to the scene that <laughs> always sticks out in my mind, which is when he's in the, <laughs> the circus. I literally just, or it's not a circus, it's like the, the like, uh, hot man auction or whatever. Oh, the golden boy pageants, yeah. (laughs) I just have in my notes, I like tried to write some other things about other scenes, but all I have in my notes for that scene is just corridor of thighs. Those moments where the text (laughs) comes up in, interspersed throughout, uh, all of those scenes where it's like, Ooh, uh, excellent taste. Corridor of thighs, exclamation mark. Yeah, golden boy. I just, I was laughing so hard through that entire scene. Oh, man. Yeah, any other, yeah, ending, yeah, ending on a tone or on the uh, citizen, citizen girl. Well, that's, that's my Winnipeg. Now, this discussion went in so many different directions as it should. I think there's so much to hear to talk about. And it's a recommend for me. I I think I was introduced to this movie by a friend, had no idea what to expect. And I think that's kind of a fun way of going into it. It, I don't know. It's a must see. I'd say it's, it's been like brain food ever since I saw it. I can't stop thinking about like, like the themes and presentation of this, this work. It's, truly yeah an abstract artistic achievement in a lot of ways and um also a big fan in the sense that it reminds me very much of one of my favorite bands the weaker thans john k sampson a uh, winnipeg native originally who has written many songs about uh winnipeg as well as canada in general like so many things like portage street or just like um uh gold the golden boy pageants and, and just so much stuff that I recognize from that material. So it was really, uh, yeah, really, a uh, really great companion piece to my already huge fandom of that band. Nice trip down memory, memory lane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that definitely, uh, definitely check it out and let us know if you end up seeing it, what you think. 
Yeah, especially with that, especially with that ending. But uh, oh, and as we always question, was the snow real? I'd say hell yeah, right? But we don't know what's real or not, so maybe. <laughs> so right, Dave brings up a great point. We will never know. I'm sure there's plenty of real snow in that archival footage, but uh, on the whole, uh, yeah, it's as much a mystery as anything else. Yeah, so that was my Winnipeg. As always, you can catch Butter With That on our socials, Butter With That 1, uh, on Twitter, Butter With That Podcast at gmail.com. Write us those emails, please, please, please. And we're on Instagram at Butter With That. Check out all the other amazing, wonderful podcasts on our Movie John Podcast Network. Check out Disney Deviants. Uh, Sam recently guested for one of their episodes. They are amazing and such a fun, that's such a fun listen. And uh, yeah, may this winter bring some good snows, hopefully. We are currently podcasting on a day where I think it reached 65? Mm-hmm. 63, Yeah wild so but may this winter be filled with snow fossils unless you live in like florida i hope that climate disaster doesn't bring huge blizzards your way but like you know where you generally should get snow i hope you get so much snow and can make so many snow fossils and with that sentiment i wish you and bid you a great whatever We will catch you next time for our very brand new episode and theme. Hope you have a good one. Take care. A corridor of thighs.